All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we are talking about the Falcons re-signing Kamal Ishmael and also some of the power moves made elsewhere in the NFC and perhaps where the Falcons rank among these days. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, founder of FalkFans.com, one of the longest-running Falcon fan sites on the internet, also at FalkFans on Twitter, and of course, the host of this magnanimous, illustrious, um, stupendous podcast. So today's episode, we are going to talk about the positive move of the Falcons re-signing Kamal Ishmael. And then we'll sort of pivot into some of the recent moves. The Rams made a big trade uh, this week. And uh, now that the offseason seems to be winding down, I think now we, it's a good time to sort of look back and reflect on maybe some other offseasons that other teams near the top of the NFC have had this off, um, this spring and, and sort of putting the Falcons' own offseason in context with those. So stay tuned to that. But first, let's talk about uh, Kamal Ishmael. Resigning, we talked about this on Monday's episode. Uh, how important it was for the Falcons to bring back a veteran linebacker, since they basically need three to fill out their 53-man roster, three backups uh, behind starters Duke Riley, Deion Jones, and Devondre Campbell, and uh, how it was important for one of those guys to be a veteran because you didn't want to go into the season potentially with three rookies, whether those were draft picks or undrafted free agents. Uh, as their main backups. You, know, you, you didn't want that much inexperience at the linebacker position heading into the season, uh, where basically Deion Jones would be the, the most veteran of the players. Uh, you, you want to have another guy that's at least been around the league for at least a couple of years. And Ishmael is that, and he makes the most sense because he knows the scheme. He's played in the last three years, and he's also played all three linebacker spots. Um, because we saw him previously get work at middle linebacker and weak side linebacker uh, the last year in, the, in, in training camp. And then during the course of this season, he also got some work over a couple of games at strong side linebacker. So now he's, he's experienced in all three spots. I wouldn't necessarily say that um, one position more than the others sort of stands out as the ideal fit for him. Probably weak side linebacker, I would guess, ideally. But um, I think, you know, the fact that he was serviceable, if not competent, if not, you know, almost even good at all three of those spots, that makes it worthwhile move for the Falcons. We also know that Ishmael can serve as a backup strong safety in a pinch. I don't think he should or will be the main backup there behind Keanu Neal. And, um, you know, longtime listeners, people that have been listening to this podcast and the previous incarnations of this podcast for multiple years, no, I've given my fair share of Kamal Ishmael criticism over the years. Um, I think there are some limitations to his game. I've spoken openly about what those are. For those of you that are not longtime listeners, you're fresh uh, off the boat, I guess you could say. I do think his instincts and recognition aren't great. I think his speed and his range isn't great. I don't think he's slow per se, but I think when you don't have um, great instincts, you're reacting probably a, a half step behind, and so it makes you look slower than what you actually are. Uh, he's a very good tackler, arguably the, the best tackler on the defense, and um, he's always been much more effective 
when he's asked to play in, in, in space and play in zone, the closer he is to the line of scrimmage, because that means due to some of the other limitations, the aforementioned limitations, um, he doesn't have to cover as much ground the closer he is to the line of scrimmage, as opposed to when he's playing safety, in particularly what we saw many years ago. Uh, and if maybe you have wiped the blood from your eyes from having seen it, but him playing deep safety uh, under Mike Nolan's defense back in, in 2014, which was awful. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think when, when people consider him to be a viable backup strong safety, I do kind of hesitate because of those reasons. I just think that's really not where he's best at. And I think that's probably his fourth best position. Um, but obviously I do think he could play there in a pinch. I think, you know, what we mean by that, like if we have a game where the Falcons only have three active safeties in a game, and there were several games like that in 2016 and maybe a couple in 2017, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in those games, if Keanu Neal were to suffer an injury, um, could Ishmael step in and, and play a couple of series or a couple of quarters as the backup strong safety, absolutely. Could he start a game? Sure. You know, I, I think there are worse options out there. If Ish, if, if Keanu Neal was um, forced to miss multiple games, like, you know, three or four multiple games or more, um, would I think Kamal Ishmael would be the best option or the go-to option there? That's where I, I tend to be like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. And I don't say this to pile on Kamala show in any way. Um, I think he's a very good reserve player. And, you know, I think he proves that seventh round picks aren't throwaways. That I think a lot of people like to opine that they are. Um, I think if you find the right player, you can find great value in the seventh round. And uh, Ishmael, you know, be, uh, not only does he play a lot of roles on his defense, which is ideal for what you're looking for in late round guys, versatility. Um, he's also contributed on special teams. He's now entering his sixth season in Atlanta. And if he manages to play just 15 games this year, um, he'll be the ninth longest tenured Falcon picked by Thomas Dimitrov in terms of games played uh, with the team, uh, not counting games played outside of the organization. So, you know, outside of Matt Bosher and Croy Bierman, he's far and away the most successful late round pick made by this team over the past decade, and, of course, the best seventh-round pick in that span of time. You know, I would argue that had the Falcons kept Vance Walker, he would fill that the mantle, and Kamal Ishmael would be the second-best uh, seventh-round pick, but, of course, the Falcons decided that they wanted to keep Parade Jerry and not keep Vance Walker. So that's a conversation and a rant for another day. I'm sure you can dig into the archives on FalFans.com and find that rant in multiple places. But... um you know, both, most of my issues with Ishmael issues, and I use air quotes when I say that, stem from I think he's a very good role player, but I do think there has often been a push within our fan base to sort of elevate him to be more than that and make him into a permanent starter. And that's, you know, that was a couple of years ago when people wanted him to replace Willie, Willie Moe at strong safety. And we even saw that to a certain extent last offseason before the Falcons drafted Duke Riley, where people were sort of saying, hey, why can't Kamal Ishmael be the third starter? And I'm, that's, again, that's where I'm always like, pump the brakes a little bit, guys. Um, I think um, Ishmael is a good example of a player that I'm constantly fighting against when, when we talk about a handful of sort of splash plays 
um, that he has certainly made over the course of his career that certainly are deserving of praise. But, you know, splash plays, I would estimate, only make up, say, like 15% of the game. And because people tend to not rewatch games, they miss mostly most of the other 85% of the quote-unquote mundane things that happen over the course of a game. And thus wind up making assumptions about that, what happens in that 85% based off of the 15%. And that's why you get certain narratives, uh, positive or negative, in the case of Kamal Ishmael, people thinking that he could be elevated to a starter with the assumption, oh, the the splash plays he makes in that 15% of the game, he'll continue to make more of those if you give him more opportunities. And I think because of some of the issues in his game, it exposes him to some of the vulnerabilities and some of the limitations. The more you play him, the more those things get exposed, as we saw early in his career, where injuries at the safety position forced the Falcons to play him a lot. And we even saw that to a certain extent um, two years ago in 2016, where, you know, when he was starting, I think for Campbell, I guess it was in, in, you know, that Seattle, Seattle game where we saw CJ Spiller really sort of, uh, you know, expose him a couple of times in coverage. And and that's one of the issues that I'm always sort of pushing up against with Kamar Ishmael, the whole, you know, sort of positive negative narrative assumption as well plays into why, you know, certain players, um, are underrated as well. And, you know, <clears throat> Austin Hooper, <clears throat> um, and so, you know, people make assumptions about those guys as well. So to put a button on this, I do think this is a good signing for the Falcons, uh, not to sound like I'm being too harsh on Kamal Ishmael. I just think people need to appreciate what he is as opposed to trying to make him into more than what he is. Um, um, I'll be curious sort of what his salary is. I like this. I will like the signing quite a bit more if he signs for less than, you know, it's a one-year contract. And if it's less than $1.8 million, um, I think that would be a positive. If it's ideally it's 1.5 million or less, that would even be better. Uh, I think the contract they gave him last year was a one-year, two million dollar contract to stick in Atlanta for one more year. And you know, with it being so late in the process in terms of the off season, I think the Falcons should have at least a little bit more leverage to get Ishmael to accept a little bit lower than that price tag, especially when you factor in that according to. The NFLPA's um, public salary cap report: the Falcons only had about 1.98 million in cap space prior to signing Ishmael, and so obviously you need him to take less money than that in order to, to fit him under the, less than two million in order to fit him under the salary cap. Um, now, to be fair, you know the NFLPA numbers are a little bit wonky, in my opinion. You know, my estimates have the Falcons, my calculations have the Falcons closer to 4.3 million in cap space, but the difference is explained by the NFLPA has set a lower limit, uh, spending limit than from what I, my understanding of the salary cap would indicate. So who knows? I don't know. I, I'm going I'm to assume that, you know, they know what they're doing and I'm, the, I'm in the wrong here, but I don't know exactly why I'm in the wrong. So, um, you know, because of that salary, that limited salary cap space, you do wonder if this is this is the last free agent move that the Falcons are going to make before the draft. You know, hashtag who knows my my new mantra uh, when it comes to trying to assess uh, Falcons moves this offseason. But uh, if they do have a little bit of spending room left um, after this Ishmael signing uh, before they get into the draft, 
I think if there's any move that should happen between now and then, it should certainly be the Falcons bringing in a veteran fullback, whether that's Derek Coleman, whether that's Zach Line, or whether that's somebody else that we haven't even talked about. I think that's probably where you would want to spend the last of your cap space on um, if there is a little bit left after this Ishmael signing, enough to sign a veteran guy. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, we'll see what adjustments the NFLPA makes to their salary cap in the, in the coming days when they log in Ishmael's, uh, contract. And so we'll, we'll find out, but, um, let's talk about where the Falcons offseason sort of ranks. If you want to say among the power teams in the, uh, NFC in a bit, but first I want to remind you guys that if you want to get geared up for the NFL draft, by all means, you got to check out locked on NFL draft. Subscribe, uh, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, wherever podcasts can be found. Of course, hosted by John Ledger and Trevor Sikama, breaking down all the offseason moves. They will be also been have been breaking down some of the big trades and offseason moves and how they affect the draft, which we will touch upon very shortly. All right, I'm not a big fan of power rankings, so that's not exactly what we're doing. But I do think there are certain teams at the top of the NFC that certainly, if you were we're going to do power rankings, we would probably put them, you know, the Falcons would be among the top six teams. I think we would, I, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast agrees, at least 98% of you listening to this podcast agree. Um, there's always that 2% outlier that's always like, nope, not going to believe it. But um, I think the Falcons are among the six teams. I think those six teams would be the Rams, Vikings, Eagles, Packers, Saints, and Falcons in no particular order. As the teams that if you were putting money down today on who's going to be, make the playoffs in the NFC in 2018, it would be those six teams. Of course, all but one of those teams made the playoffs last year. And typically, we know historically in the NFL, there's a little bit of a turnover. Most years, there's on average at least five new teams in the playoffs across both conferences. So on average, you can estimate two new teams in the postseason um, per conference, if not more. And so... There's probably one of those teams, maybe it's the Falcons, maybe it's the Saints, who who knows, gets knocked out. The Packers are the, are the team that didn't make the playoffs last year among those teams. Um, and they would sort of step in for, who is it? The, uh, I don't even know who made the playoffs last year. Who the Panthers. <laughs> sitting here like, who did the Saints beat in the first round? Panthers. I was like, is it the Panthers? Did they make the playoffs? Um, yeah. So um, there you have it, guys. Um, so let's talk, you know, the Falcons relative to all these other teams have had a very, very quiet off season. And I think the interesting thing is when you go through these other five teams in the NFC, for the most part, most of them, for every player that they lost, you could argue for in many of their cases, not all their cases, but in many of their cases, they added a better player on paper. So in a lot of cases, some of these other teams in the NFC, you know, seemingly on paper got better. While you can certainly make a strong argument that the Falcons in a lot of ways got worse. You know, we lost guys like Poe and Claiborne and Gabriel. We have really yet to add anybody to replace any of those guys. We're going to be relying on rookies, presumably, you would think, um, with possibly all three of those picks, all three of those players being replaced with the team, you know, with three out of the team's top three or four picks in this draft. And of course, you know, while the Falcons have gotten very good value from their rookies, in recent history under Dan Quinn, for the most part, contrary to popular opinion, most of those guys have not been 
high-level players coming right away into the NFL. We've gotten quality play, particularly relative to where some of those guys were drafted early in their careers. But in truth, you know, they many of them fall into the sort of 1585 dichotomy of splash plays sort of overshadowing the fact that, you know, 85% of the time their play is not necessarily high level. Um, so we'll see how that goes this year. Um, I can understand why there are certain vocal uh, Falcon fans that sort of are distraught, frustrated with the Falcons offseason. I get that. I understand that. But I do think, you know, big picture wise, I think that if the Falcons were going to have a low key offseason, this was the year to do it, um, given sort of where they are in their quote unquote rebuild under Dan Quinn, where they have probably rebuilt things and are in the mix at the top of the NFC. Um, if, you know, this could be their down year in the Dan Quinn era. This could be, you know, a down year. I'm, I'm thinking like an eight and eight type of season. We'll see. I think a lot of the Falcon success hinges less on big time personnel moves and more on Sark getting his act together. And if he does that, then we should see tremendous growth from this football team. We already know the defense is the arrow is pointing up for the defense as those guys mature. I don't think the presence of a couple of more rookies is going to derail that by any means. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Falcons. And, you know, I don't want to, I hope this doesn't come off as a dour projection, but at this point in time, like, you know, if someone told me that the Falcons go eight and eight this year, I'd be like, okay, like I could, I could see how that happened. Um, particularly if the offense doesn't show the, the amount of growth that we're all hoping and wanting it to. Um, but it, someone could also convince me the Falcons go 13 and three this year. And I'd be like, yeah, that, you know, that's probably better than I would have initially expected. That certainly exceeds my expectations, but I wouldn't sit here and be like, that's impossible, particularly if the defense makes the leap that people think it's capable of being a top seven to 10 unit, um, and legitimately not just in sort of points allowed or, or whatever the case may be, but third downs, um, defensive passer rating, red zone, uh, pass rush, run defense, you know, and of course points allowed and all those v- different factors that you tend to measure defenses and they're sort of a top seven to 10 unit across the board. Um, and you couple that with tremendous offensive growth in this offense, not necessarily living up to the 2016 offense, one of the all time greats, but certainly being a top three to five offense in the league, you know, averaging 27, 28 plus points a game. Then I think this is going to be a hard team to beat if, if both those things come true. And I think if you're, if you're down on the Falcons, you know, hit your wagon to those hopes. In those dreams, and we'll we'll find out if they come true. That's part of the reason why we do this podcast. We will talk about those things quite a lot uh, as we get closer and closer to the season, and certainly we'll find out if they happen. You know me. If you're new to the podcast, you know or you don't know, but uh, I tend to be a believe-it-when-I-see-it type of person, and so I'm not going to necessarily fall one way or the other in terms of where I think the direction of the team is going to be. I'm just going to wait and see what happens when we get to September. And if they don't go the direction I hope and want them to, I will rant about it on this podcast. If they do go the, the direction, then, uh, you know, for once we will have positivity and, and, and gumdrops and rainbows on this podcast. Maybe, you know, I'll, I'll devote five minutes to praising the Falcons and another 20 to ripping them, but no uh, jokes. All right, enough preamble. 
Um, let's talk about the other NFC teams. But first, I want to remind you guys that now, not only do you can follow NFL and NBA uh, podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network, you can also follow Major League Baseball, now part of Lockdown Podcast Network. Find it wherever podcasts can be found. Your team every day. So let's talk about the Rams. They they just made a big trade to get Brandon Cooks. Um, they also picked up a big trade to get Marcus Peters. They got Akeem Talib. Was that a trade? I think it was a trade, right? Um, and they also signed Indomitian Sue. The only players that they really uh, uh, worthwhile mentioning that they lost this offseason were Sammy Watkins and Alec Ogletree. Ogletree has long been a mediocre NFL starter um, that for some reason they paid him. Um, Watkins, while uberly talented, um, has not quite lived up to those expectations. And certainly based off of their recent year's performance, even though on paper you would say, well, Watkins is more talented and has a higher ceiling than Brandon Cooks does because Watkins has the potential to be a top seven wide receiver in the league. And Cooks is more of like a guy that's probably somewhere between like 15 and 20. You know, he's a good wide receiver. He can be a de facto number one, but he's not a true number one, as we talk about it in the same sense that we say a guy like Mike Evans or Julio Jones or et cetera are those guys. Um, But Cook certainly, the point is, Cooks has been much better since he's been in the league than Watkins has been. And and on paper, you love this move for the Rams because, you know, they're Todd Gurley-based offense, a lot of play action, um, and Cooks is a prolific deep threat. He was arguably the best deep threat in the NFL last year. Statistically, he was number two behind Tyreek Hill in yards gained on 20 plus yard passes. And he was number two behind like, I don't know, like Kenny Galladay or or somebody that doesn't matter (laughs) in terms of the percentage of his targets that were 20 plus yard passes. So clearly average it out. He's, he's number one guy, uh, deep threat. And of course, you know, Indomitian Sue goes without saying. And of course, with their um, cornerback play, yeah, I forgot they lost Robert Quinn, and you know, there's talk that they might re-sign Connor Baldwin, but basically their their edge pass rush is taking a big step back. But with the with having two lockdown man corners like Talib and Peters out there on the outside, it does allow them to be a lot more aggressive with their blitz packages. So they don't necessarily need to have great linebackers, high level linebackers, because they'll just blitz. And of course, with Aaron Donald and Sue up front and of course Michael Brockers playing third fiddle um you know you have what is going to be a, a very good defense and so you can see where the Rams have gotten better they've certainly made their moves with the impression that they're sort of going all in over the next couple of years with you know they got a bunch of money that they're going to have to pay out to some of these guys like Cooks and Peters Peters next year Cooks they possibly next year as well you got Donald who's due a, a monster contract he'll probably be the highest paid defensive player in the league you got Jared Goff you got to pay in two years you got LaMarcus Joyner that you got to pay now that he's franchise tag um so they're going to have their money tied up pretty heftily in you know 2019 2020 so they're really all in for like trying to make a run and you look at some of the current veterans that they have signed like Andrew Whitworth and John Sullivan and uh, Mark Barron and some of these guys their contracts run out after 2019 so it it Certainly the Rams are making a, a big push to try to win it all in the next year or two, and that's all really going to depend on how well Jared Goff plays. I'm not necessarily a big believer in Jared Goff personally, but uh, you know, if I was ranking, power ranking NFC quarterbacks in terms of 
who I would prefer to have in the uh, NFC Championship game on my team. I'd probably put Jared Goff right now at 11th in the NFC, um, but certainly he's young and certainly has the potential to improve that ranking in the coming years. Um, so we'll see how that works out for them, but uh, certainly um, they are going to be the big sexy uh, team to pick in the NFC this season. Of course, the Eagles are the defending champions. Um, they made major upgrades to their front seven by getting guys like Michael Bennett and Hillary Nada. No, I don't think anything's going to come of the Michael Bennett thing. I think that's sort of being staged for publicity purposes by the Houston Police Department, but we'll see how that, that goes. But certainly you would rather have Michael Bennett and Haluti Nada than probably Bo Allen and Vinnie Curry. I know I would. Um, and if you probably watch those guys play football, I think you would too. Even though Bo Allen was very underrated last year. But um, and Nada is certainly not the player that he was, you know, three, four years ago. Um, they also picked up Mike Wallace, James uh, Darrell Worley to replace skill position players like Brent Selec and Trey Burton. Uh, they lost LeGarrette Blount. They also lost Patrick Robinson in their secondary. So their skill positions are down, but you assume that the Eagles will probably address some of those areas in the draft, particularly running back and tight end. Um, so we'll, we'll see where they, they come. They're, they're sort of positioned um, in a place where I think they can get a couple of good players in that where maybe not immediately replacing those guys' value, but certainly in a year or two, I don't think anybody's going to be too concerned about losing out on LeGarrette Blunt or, or Trey Burton if they make the right picks. So... Arguably, they've made, you know, their, their bread was buttered on their defensive uh, front's ability and their defense, uh, the ability to stop teams. And with Carson Wentz coming back, you know, you would assume that their offense, if he's back healthy, their offense is going to pick up where it left off for the most part. Um, and if they can't, then, if, you know, they can rely on the ground game a little bit, you know, with a rookie and, and Ajayi and, and Corey Clement and, and Smallwood, etc., they should be fine. I mean, Jason Peters is coming back. So Eagles, the arrow is pointing up for them. Vikings, of course, they made the big move to get uh, Kirk Cousins. They signed Sheldon Richardson on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they lost Jarek McKinnon, uh, McKinnon to the San Francisco, but they're getting Dalvin Cook back from injury. Um, so it seems like the Vikings already were arguably the most balanced offense, the most balanced roster top to bottom um, in the NFC last year with the Quarterback being the one position that you were skeptical of with Case Keenum, even though he played well. I think Kirk Cousins has made tremendous strides the last couple of years in the league where a, a couple of years ago he was sort of a, a stat guy that put up great numbers but wasn't necessarily a high-level quarterback, but I think he's become a high-level quarterback. I don't know if I would rank him above like ninth in my NFC quarterback, NFC championship game power rankings, but... Top 10 works for me. You know, I think there's probably 10 good NFC quarterbacks and, you know, with the right pieces around them. And certainly I think Minnesota certainly has those pieces. Uh, we'll see if they can sort of continue to adjust their offensive line um, in the draft. So there's reason to think the arrow is pointing up for them, especially, you know, Richardson is probably the one of the more underrated signings of this offseason, particularly now that it's been overshadowed by bigger name guys like Sue and Bennett going elsewhere, but that's a really solid sign for Minnesota. Um, we'll, we'll see how that works out for them. You know, I think he's on, working on a one-year deal, but uh, yeah, Packers, you know, they got Jimmy Graham, everybody's favorite, Jimmy Graham, Muhammad Wilkerson, another guy that Falcon fans were pushing for. Um, they also 
re-signed Tremont Williams, who's very good for what was it, Cleveland or Houston or whoever the heck he played. I can't I can't keep track of where Tremont Williams has been. Um but he played well for whoever he played for last year. Um they lost Jordy Nelson, they lost Richard Rogers, but obviously Jimmy Graham is you know, even though I have a lower opinion of Jimmy Graham than most, he's way better than Richard Rogers. Um Jari Evans, Morgan Burnett, uh, they lost uh, Demarius Randall and uh, Devon House in the, in the secondary. So, you know, the Packers, I would say, among these teams probably lost more than they got back. But if their offense can make strides, they can fix their offensive line, stabilize that group. The running game can make strides with a bunch of rookies that all showed promise last year. And if they can put it together, you know, they could. you could argue that they might move Ty Montgomery, the wide receiver, more and rely on the other guys to, to – play running back and that can offset some maybe the loss of uh Jordy Nelson to a certain extent but the secondary losses I think are going to be big and so they're going to be relying on a couple of young guys like Josh Jones uh at safety and and possibly in Kevin King really making big strides this year to sort of make up the difference of some of the guys that they lost but their secondary wasn't great their pass rush is probably their biggest concern um and so we'll see if they address that in the draft whoever they get in the first round I think could have a Major impact, particularly if he's a pass rusher, if it's the right pass rusher. So we'll see what happens with the Packers. But uh, And then we, we come to the Saints. They picked up um, Ben Watson to replace, you know, to upgrade their tight end position. And he didn't replace anybody. Tom Savage replaces Chase Daniel as their backup quarterback. Um, Patrick Robinson in the secondary. Um, they got Kirk Coleman to replace Kenny Vaccaro. And Demario Davis is now an upgrade at linebacker. So the Saints made some strides. Nothing as splashy as some of these other teams. Certainly not the Rams, Vikings, and Eagles. Uh, but in a lot of ways, I think they were positive moves for them. Um, Vaccaro, I, I was never really a huge fan of him. But, you know, he's a versatile player. We'll see where he lands. He's still unsigned. The safety market has been interesting. You know, there's been rumors that it's been connected to sort of the co- quote-unquote collusion uh, among NFL teams to purposefully hold back the safety market because of the presence of Eric Reed in the market. And so teams aren't willing to pay safeties what they normally would get. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much truth to that is. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, but it is odd how safeties have not really gotten much this offseason. And it'll be interesting to sort of see how that may affect the Ricardo Allen extension talks that I don't think are really active right now, but certainly could become more active as we get closer to the season and into the season. Um, You know, it's particularly whether or not Joyner signs a long-term deal between now and July 15th when the deadline is for franchise players. So we'll see how all that sort of plays out, but it'll be interesting. Um, in terms of like ranking offseason, I think the Rams are, are, are clearly number one. I got to hand it to the Vikings when you can get a good uh, quarterback. That's certainly um, up there. Probably has more impact than any of the moves the Rams made, but because the collective whole of the Rams, you know, basically they got four Pro Bowl caliber players. You know, even Kirk Cousins is not, I'm not going to sit necessarily, he's worth four Pro Bowl caliber players. But the Vikings, in getting two arguably Pro Bowl caliber players in Cousins and Richardson, certainly is, is a good move. And, and the Eagles, you know, we'll see what happens with Bennett, but, you know, if Michael Bennett is Michael Bennett, then that alone should put them in three. Uh, but the Packers probably at four, and then the Saints at five, and then, of course, 
my my beloved Falcons at six, uh, just because you know Brandon Fusco just doesn't quite move the needle in the same way that some of these other guys do. So um, again, I don't want anybody to be like, oh, you know, what does that mean for the regular season? It means nothing. You know, before anybody leaves a comment saying, hey, you know, you don't win games regular season games in the off season. You're absolutely right. I'm well aware of that, but. I know people, you know, we got to get content out there, guys. Like, let, let me be honest about this. Like, you know, so those are my thoughts on, on the other teams. I think it was going to be an interesting, very fun NFC race this year. You know, whoever's going to win the NFC will face the Steelers or the Texans. You know, I'm high on the Texans. If one team is going to challenge the Patriots, did I say Steelers? I meant Patriots. I'm sorry. If one team is going to challenge the Patriots, no, forget the Steelers. They're the worst. Um, it's going to be the Texans and Deshaun Watson. Uh, 2017 QB1. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun NFC race. The Falcons may be the sixth best team in the NFC, which, look, hey, that's not a bad thing. The sixth best team in the NFC is probably the second best team in the AFC. So, um, you know, we might be six in the NFC, but we might be seven in the world. So that's not a bad thing. And we'll see how it plays out. You know, again, a lot of it is sort of dependent less on proven players and and most of it's on Sark. And I'm sure we will talk quite a bit about that over the next, you know, four to five months. So uh, until then, guys, you guys stay locked on. If you want to get your feedback back towards me, feed me back, I guess, wherever that word comes from. Uh, you can do so on Twitter at FalcFans. If it's podcast-related, just let me know. If it is podcast-related, just go ahead and send it over to Locked on Falcons. That's the show's Twitter handle. If you prefer other social media platforms like Facebook, you can go to Facebook and check out Locked on Falcons. Uh, give us a like while you're there. Also, email address is LockedOnFalcons at mail.com. And, of course, you can leave a comment on LockedOnFalcons.com or FalcFans.com where, where the podcast is posted daily. Also want to plug, go check out our leftover mailbag last week over at LockedOnFalcons.com. You can also check out our draft interest tracker on FalcFans.com, keeping tabs, you know, the updated daily, uh, keeping or every 36 hours, let's say. Uh, let's be honest. Um, updated almost daily um, with whoever the Falcons are supposedly working out or showing interest in and gone to their pro days, all those sorts of things. So your one-stop shop, I got it right, um, to all the stuff Falcons related and draft related. So go check that out on FalFans.com. And uh, yeah, that's it. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.